You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Well, you've uh, likely heard about it. Perhaps you've been attending the meetings. Uh, State environmental officials are proposing a seasonal wood-burning ban in seven northern Utah counties. Those are Box Elder, Cache, Davis, Salt Lake, Utah, Tooele, and Weber. The ban uh, could have an effect on winter air quality in our communities. And so we want to know what you think, how the ban would affect you and if you support it. And the uh, State Air Quality Board, El Division of Air Quality, has been receiving a lot of comment. Uh, There have been meetings around the state of Utah, already happening in uh, Tooele, Salt Lake, Brigham City, Ogden, and Logan. Coming up next week, uh, there's a meeting in Farmington on the 28th, 10 a.m., Davis County Administration Building. And in Provo, this final meeting for public input, uh, January 29th, 11 a.m., Utah County Health Department. And we've been accepting comment here at Utah Public Radio. Uh, Our reporter, Jennifer Pemberton, joins me. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. It's good to be here. So you pointed out to me a disparity between uh, the uh, what's been happening at the meetings and the comments we've been receiving at UPR. Well, yeah, we've been um, having, I've been asking people online and on the air, and I, probably most of our listeners have heard me a couple times a day asking for, for their public comments, um, just to sort of, we can inform our reporting on the topic. And I have about 19 responses um, in my in my inbox, and they've been about 50-50 um, for and against having this wood-burning ban. Um, and then I started seeing some of the news coming out of these meetings that are overwhelmingly 99% uh, most of the time opposed um, that that public comment. So there's obviously either a disparity in the audience um, that's sort of that we're reaching or in the kinds of people who write into a public radio station versus the kinds of people who attend a public meeting. So, um, but a variety of of reasons for and against. Um, And I think that's the point that there are, I mean, everything in between yes and no. It's a full range of of opinions. And a lot of things on this that I hadn't thought about until I started reading uh, the reporting you've been doing, Jennifer, and and other reporting. We also bring in uh, Bryce Bird who is Director of Utah Division of Air Quality. Uh, welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, Tom and uh, Jennifer. I appreciate the opportunity to, to participate today. We appreciate you being with us. And uh, the whole reason we're on today is we want your comment. That's uh, that's basically why we've opened the phone lines here, which are 1-800-826-1495. almost forgot that, Jennifer. That's uh, anathema here in public radio. I've been off for a week, down with this uh, nasty flu, but I'm... I recovered, and I, I did, I think, stick the landing there. 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter as well, at Utah Public Radio. Uh, we're going to hear a bit of reporting that uh, Jennifer Pemberton did. Before we go there, Mr. Bird, uh, have you been to some of these uh, meetings? What What's the uh, input that you're receiving on this uh, proposed burn ban? So yes, I've been to the meetings, and then also, of course, uh, our email inboxes are are filling up quickly as well. Uh, it is an issue that uh, is a concern on on both sides, and and something we're trying to address. Of course, the the air pollution that we experience during our winter inversion season here along the Wasatch Front, the Cache Valley, um, it, it, it is a challenge for us. It's something that we're trying to address, and we know that it does impact the health and the economies of those areas. And so uh, we're looking for the best strategies, and uh, of course, uh, gaining public comment is a very important part of any government process, and, and certainly valuable in this uh, decision-making process that we're under right now. And it seems like from the reporting, the the people definitely want to have their voice heard. This is not an academic or a moot point for a lot of people. This is people are really care about this. It is, and of course, uh, that's exactly why uh, we're out there in public collecting public comment. Uh, we need to understand how uh, this rule affects people. We need to understand some of the the background. You know, for instance, uh, even in Salt Lake County, uh, we're learning more about what areas have natural gas available. For instance. Um, 
you know, we sometimes assume that uh, everyone has the same option to uh, turn a thermostat up and, and have reliable and regulated natural gas prices, but, but we know that's not the case. And so, so some uh, comments that we're receiving are, of course, uh, based on choice, that, that people have burned, they want to burn, and want to continue to be able to burn. Others, it's, it's more of a financial decision for them. The cost of propane or electricity is... Um, prohibitive for them, and so uh, they see wood burning as their only option to maintain heat in their homes and do so at a, at a reasonable cost. Let's hear this uh, piece of tape, um, as we used to call it, Jennifer, in the <laughs> olden days. Roll it, Tom. <laughs> Roll it. Yeah, it's, it's bits and bites, uh, but this is a piece of reporting that, uh, recording that, uh, that our Jennifer Pemberton uh, made recently. Uh, maybe set this up. Um. Sure, I'm actually looking for the intro to this. Basically, I, I went to the um, to the meeting in Logan. It was the first one I've been kind of following all of this um, news, you know, over the web, and I hadn't seen it in action in in person. And so I went to the meeting. So there's some reporting just directly from the meeting about just being hit in the face with that opposition um, and sort of some of the reasons why people are opposed to it. And then I actually talked to a... Um, academic professor of communications who specializes in environmental conflict and I wanted to just pick her brain a little bit about why people are so fired up about this like why the discussion hasn't been terribly reasonable so um, you'll hear her voice in the end sort of trying to explain why people get heated um, in these in these kinds of debates. Let's hear this, and then, of course, we have much more, and we want to hear from you. What's your opinion? How would this affect you? Are you in favor or no of a proposed wood-burning ban during the uh, wintertime uh, months in seven northern Utah counties? In the simplest terms, it's the right to burn versus the right to breathe. At least that's how those who oppose and support a seasonal ban on wood-burning in northern Utah are voicing it. Governor Herbert tasked the State Air Quality Board with probing public opinion on the ban, which would prohibit use of all wood stoves in seven inversion-prone Utah counties from November 1st to March 15th every year in an effort to limit winter air pollution. At the public hearing Wednesday night in Logan, the opposition was overwhelming. The sheriff's office estimates that there were 500 people trying to attend the hearing in the Cache County Courthouse with a capacity of only 160. Only two of the residents who offered oral public comments expressed support for the ban. One was a woman with lung cancer who was actually booed at the podium. The other was told to get rid of his car and ride a horse. And as a horse, you need to you need to remember there are folks here in the valley who have health problems that this affects. My wife is one of them. My son is one of them. We have to do something. We have to do some Reasons for opposing the ban ranged from the high cost of natural gas to helping reduce the risk of forest fires by removing firewood from public lands. People said they were fighting for their freedom to be self-reliant and to not be told what to do. Hi, I'm Ashley Nielsen. I'm a stay-at-home mom, want to stay that way. I am self-sufficient. We have forest land that we have to manage and take um, our dead trees out of, and I am not a criminal. Government has a role. We've strayed far from it. We need to get back from it. The group that has voiced the most organized opposition to the proposal is a coalition called Utahns for Responsible Burning, backed by the fireplace industry. They want the state to consider an exemption for low-emission EPA-certified wood stoves. But the Department of Environmental Quality says that even though these cleaner burning stoves emit up to 33% less particulate matter, they still emit 160 times more than a natural gas furnace. But the hearing in Logan didn't focus much on solutions to reduce emissions. There was so much anger, so much emotion. Environmental conflicts have this unique aspect to them. In uh, resource planning, they call them wicked problems. Maria Blevins is an assistant professor of communications at Utah Valley University who studies environmental conflict. She says that the reason people get so outraged at a proposal like this is that their core values are at stake. This is not about wood burning, said one Cache County resident at the hearing. This is about rights. 
Professor Blevins would also argue that it's about family and warmth or being a good neighbor or even the memory of chopping firewood when you were a little kid. She says we can learn a lot about ourselves by asking where our outrage is coming from. When I hear, I don't want the government telling me uh, what I can do or not do in my home, well, this is a deeper value of what is the role of government and what um, is the line between regulation and personal freedoms. Some people feel like a ban on wood burning is a clear-cut case of government overreach. And some feel like it's the least the government can do to put a dent in a major public health crisis. It seems like a very wide gap to fill. I haven't met many people that think, you know, I just can't wait to ruin my neighborhood or ruin my state or ruin this place that I live. And so maybe coming at this thinking, people are just trying to build the best communities that they can. And that's on both sides, right? So um, that could be... Uh, you know, heating your home and, and keeping your family safe, or that could be keeping your family safe through not wanting to inhale smoke. And so thinking about um, as we build communities, are our goals that different? Are your comments that you're making being productive to that end? Written public comments on the proposed burn ban are being accepted through February 9th. Details on how to submit those to the Division of Air Quality are at upr.org. For Utah Public Radio, I'm Jennifer Pemberton in Logan. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have uh, with us in studio Jennifer Pemberton, UPR reporter. You just heard her report right there. And Bryce Bird, who is director of the Division of Air Quality for Utah. We're looking for your comment on this proposed wood-burning ban. And uh, th- there have been a lot of comments come in at the uh, five, there's seven total, Jennifer, anywhere, uh, the, the meetings. Um, all but two. Okay, one for every county, and there's seven counties uh, affected. Um, should ask you, Mr. Bird. Uh, there's two more to come. One in Farmington, and uh, let me see. One in Provo. One in Provo. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so let me turn to you, uh, Bryce Bird. Um, it, it this has gotten a little heated, I think, at, at some of the meetings. Maybe some of the other meetings as well. And as the professor said, it goes to core values. We, we all want to breathe. On the other hand, it uh, can get to our heritage as well. Wood burning has been a part of uh, you know, the, the pioneer heritage. It, it has. And uh, we have also focused on some of those same concerns. And uh, as was mentioned in the, the interview, um, it, it applies to both sides. Uh, when we look at things that are important to Utahns, especially uh, along the, the core metropolitan areas, uh, and especially looking in the future, you know, air quality is one of those that that, that rises to the top. Um, it's something that does impact all of us when we have the inversions in place, when uh, we have the uh, inability to, to have our kids go out to recess. Um, we certainly have uh, challenges when visitors come to the state, and if they come during the wrong time, it, it is a, a challenge. They they have a negative view of the entire state based on their experience during the winters, and they openly wonder, uh, why aren't we doing something about it? And uh, the, the challenge is focusing on what we have done, what we can do, uh, and you know, ultimately what we need to do in order to provide uh, you know, adequate help. Um, some of the recent study work is really focused on the health impacts during our inversions. And, and for me, it's, it's almost embarrassing to, to have a call from a researcher from another state saying, we're really interested in, in studying the impacts of air pollution. And uh, since you have such challenges, you are the perfect area to test for this. Uh, can we get your air data so that then we can compare it to health records of, of your area? And each of those studies that has been performed has found links. We know that heart attacks increase during and after inversions. We know that there's uh, increases, especially in the uh, people that are over 65 years old, uh, increases in bronchitis and pneumonia and hospitalization. Uh, we know that uh, people with uh, certain types of asthma, it's a trigger for them. And so we see hospitalizations for, for asthma and increased asthma usage. All these are real costs, not only uh, directly because of the, the medical costs, but of course, if somebody's sick, somebody may have to stay home from work to take care of them. And uh, as companies are attracting talent, uh, they look at a lot of factors, uh, some of those same values that, that drive their decisions about where to relocate or uh, uh, you know, invest their, their time and their, their career in an area. Uh, these are things that, that are impacting that. And so because of all those reasons, we are focused on uh, 
addressing our problem and doing so as quickly as possible. And as we've gone through this process, we keep finding that, that wood burning is still contributing. Even though we've had these uh, episodic bans in place for over 20 years, we're still finding significant amounts of wood smoke on the, the filters that we analyze. And so it is still a concern for us and something that we need to address in order to uh, ensure that, that we're providing uh, really our mandate to provide uh, a good environment and good health to the citizens of the state. I think it's it's really good to remind people about that. We we have we, I wanted to start there and take a step back and you know there there's a, there are very good scientific reasons and they're not just scientific but I mean it's the state this is the state caring <laughs> about about the people who live here. Um, I'm hoping you can talk briefly about about the current system because we there are burn bans and we are we do we have a system in place. Um, right now on on certain air quality days where we can't burn. And maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of this and why we're proposing this much, much stricter band than, than what's been in place already. Yeah, the, the evolution, uh, really, it, it continues on work that has happened during the past century. Uh, actually, some of the first air quality regulations in the country were uh, here along the, the Wasatch Front, and it was uh, a prohibition against burning soft coal. Uh, which it was a, a a very dirty uh, burning process and and certainly resulted in in higher pollution back in the early 1900s and some local regulations uh, in the Salt Lake County area prohibited the use of that soft coal because of its contribution to uh, the, the smoke in the area and of course the irritants that it produces uh, our, our our next focus was was in the 19 late 1970s into to 1980s uh, when the Federal Environmental Protection Agency started setting national ambient air quality standards uh, based on the monitoring that we had in the valleys here along the Wasatch Front we were exceeding those standards and so uh, the first planning was put in place to uh, focus on what we could do most of that work was actually focused on large industrial sources and so we saw uh, Lots of industrial controls on on Kennecott, on the the refineries, uh, even conversion of some some power plants all the way away from any uh, either oil or coal, but uh, converting those to natural gas in in an attempt to to address that that situation. As we move forward, of course, uh, we're learning more about the health impacts, and so those standards have become more protective. And so uh, every few years, we're, we're going back and relooking, and always analyzing what's the largest contributor. And uh, now what we're finding is that the largest segment is no longer the industrial sources. Uh, it is vehicles. It is the largest, uh, the transportation sector, uh, followed by what we call area sources, and that's really uh, home and consumer processes and products that, that have emissions. And of those, uh, wood smoke is, is still like a major component. So again, this is a, 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 a long history of trying to address our situation. We have also had great success. Uh, we've seen that uh, monitoring values have improved over that entire time as well, but uh, we're, we're still not meeting the current health standard, and we're not projected to do so for uh, some time in the future. And we know that uh, we can have very, very bad inversion years like we did in 2013, that uh, even though we've put a lot of controls in place, we still have days and days on end where we're not uh, meeting those health standards and certainly impacting everyone. We have some listener comment uh, coming through, and we'll get to that uh, right now. Uh, after I ask you, uh, Rice Bird, um, we were going to ask you before you went on the air, but uh, I'll ask you on air. <laughs> um we are hoping here at UPR, we've uh, been receiving comment. We'd love to pass that on as a part of this uh, public outreach uh, to the Air Quality Board and uh, DAQ. Is, is that possible? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Great. As was mentioned, the, the public comment period is open, and at our website at airquality.utah.gov, uh, on that page, there's a, a section that talks about this uh, proposal, and on there, there is a, both an email address and a, a written or, or a, a mailing address that where we can receive comments. And so the comment period is open, as was mentioned in the, the, the news story, until February 9th, and we're looking for uh, every comment that, that, that we can get. We, we need to know how this impacts people, and uh, of course, uh, if there's a better solution, recommendations to make this better uh, is certainly why we put things out to public comment. Uh, we, we haven't pre-decided how we're going to go. Uh, this is a, a way to get input, and uh, certainly if there are suggestions or better ways to do it, 
that is uh, what we're looking for. All right, we will uh, we'll pass all of this on to uh, on to the DAQ then and and the Air Quality Board. Uh, here is um, a question via Twitter. This is at Cameron MVM responding to Utah Public Radio's. Uh, uh, question. We're throwing that out to you. Uh, what do you think of this uh, proposed burn ban? Are you for it, against it, or somewhere in between? And so Cameron says, need to see more data on burn impact on red air days. What impact will the ban have? And if you have a, an idea of that, Bryce Bird? So uh, we, we've looked at this both in a bottom-up and a top-down approach, and and let me explain that briefly. When we look at the inventory of pollutants that then can react to the atmosphere during our inversion periods, we focus on uh, emissions sources. we, we, in many cases, can use uh, national default information about uh, certain sources. So, for instance, if we have uh, 100,000 residents using natural gas, uh, we can look at the natural gas consumption. We have information about the efficiency of furnaces and the emissions from those furnaces, and from that we can, we can gather an inventory. Uh, the same has been done for uh, wood burning. So based on our heating zone and uh, access to national forests, um, there are emissions factors that have been established across the country looking at wood burning. That was our, our, our foundation for uh, th- those original restrictions that we put in place. So, so based on our, uh, this inventory information, we, we know that about, uh, it, for, for instance, in Salt Lake County, about uh, 90,000 people uh, used their wood stoves um, or wood burning or solid burning appliances. Uh, by restricting that during the highest pollution days, we can then uh, reduce that amount. The, then the top-down approach is then to analyze the filters. And so as we collect particles on the filters, we can then send them to a laboratory that can analyze the components uh, of those filters. And uh, that analysis can then be tied back to the sources. Uh, for wood smoke, um, it produces both organic carbon and inorganic carbon, it produces volatile organic compounds, it produces sulfur dioxide, it produces nitrogen oxides. And so again, from that fingerprint, we can go back and and look at the contribution. Then with those two pieces of information, we can then tie those together and and apportion the the, the pollution. So that was a long answer to get to the the bottom line. Uh, When we look at the the particles that start as particles, the directly emitted particles, uh, wood smoke, contributes about uh, 35% of the directly emitted particles that we find in our non-attainment areas in Utah. When we look at the overall particles in the air, the majority of the particles in the air are actually formed as secondary particles. And so when we look at the wood smoke contribution to all particles, again, because there are secondary formations, uh, wood smoke is about 5% of the total. Um, and so that's what we're looking to address here. It's not uh, solving the problem completely, but there is no single solution. We're always looking for uh, methods to reduce and do so most efficiently. And so to answer your question, of the directly emitted particles, uh, about 35% are wood smoke. Of the total uh, particles, about 5% are wood smoke. We uh, do have several more uh, comments uh, coming in online, and we'd love to hear yours as well. Let's take a break now, and when we come back more with Bryce Bird with the Division of Air Quality, we have UPR reporter Jennifer Pemberton uh, with us as well, and hopefully your question or comment on a proposed wood-burning ban uh, during the uh, winter months uh, in seven northern uh, counties. Uh, The way to reach us, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can reach us uh, via Twitter, at Utah Public Radio, just to use the hashtag BurnBan. And you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. We'll have a comment from online. We'll have a Facebook comment as well, and uh, we have a, uh, an email. So good variety. You could call as well, 1-800-826-1495. More questions from Jennifer Pemberton as well uh, following the break. 
Hey everybody, this is folk singer Michael Jonathan. This week's broadcast, we're celebrating the music of Appalachia for the entire hour. We have Raymond McLean and the students of the Kentucky Center for Traditional Music at Moorhead State University. Old folks at their knees, young folks hollering. All this and more on this week's broadcast of the Woodstone Old Time Radio Hour. Friday night at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread. At 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3. Featuring lunch panini, salads, sandwiches, and soups. Full menu at crumbbrothers.com. Utah Public Radio is looking for a business manager. The successful candidate for this full-time USU-benefited position is responsible for processing all of the financial activities for UPR and reports directly to UPR's general manager. Among other minimum qualifications, at least two years of full-time accounting experience is required. For detailed information on this position and how you can join the UPR team, go to upr.org and click on the About Us tab and go to Careers. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Sherry Quinn has the day off. Tom Williams in with Jennifer Pemberton, our reporter, who's been covering a proposed seasonal wood-burning ban, which would affect, if passed, a, a seven northern Utah counties, Box Elder, Cache, Davis, Salt Lake, to Utah, Tooele, and Weber. There have been uh, public comment meetings in uh, Tooele, Salt Lake, Brigham uh, City, uh, Ogden, and Logan. And uh, a lot of people have shown up to those meetings. A lot of comments come out of that. Uh, and coming up next week in Farmington, the Davis County Administration Building, that's on January 28th, 10 a.m., there'll be another meeting. And the last meeting is in Provo, 11 a.m. on January 29th, Utah County Health Department. Bryce Bird, director of the Division of Air Quality, is with us. And as I mentioned, Jennifer Pemberton with us as well. We have uh, several comments coming in on this. Your question or comment, very welcome. We set this program up just for you. And you've heard from uh, Mr. Bird, we can pass uh, the comments we receive here uh, on as part of the official part of this uh, public input. So we'll be doing that. We've received uh, quite a few comments on our website as well. So, Jennifer, first of all, before you ask your next question of uh, Bryce Bird, how best to, to respond to uh, this inquiry that I've been giving out Twitter and that's why we've have all of these options yeah. and I think um, the the air quality board has the same system you can come to a meeting um, I don't think they they have a phone line but you can definitely email them directly and you can call us right now on the air we have Bryce bird on the phone um, he'd be happy to answer your questions I think one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five we're also um, I have 15 tabs open on my computer so we're we're looking at twitter we're looking at facebook so email you can you can get us a number of ways all of the ways including uh online upr.org that's right you can you can just look for the the burn ban there so go ahead jennifer i'm sure you have some questions for yeah so so one of the um one of the most kind of popular responses to this proposed burn ban which is a very strict burn ban this is all wood stoves we haven't i don't think actually talked about what the what the burn ban entails but it's um all solid fuel burning devices between i think it's november 15th to march 1st is that right bryce actually slide that back so it'd be march sorry november 1st to march 15th march 15th so a very long season that's when we normally have our worst inversions the worst um weather that can trap that pollution in. It also happens to be when people like to burn wood. <laughs> a wood-burning ban in July would be a totally different story. Um, there, There is a group, uh, a coalition called Utahns for Responsible Burning, and they're sort of backed by the fireplace industry. And and they are, last week they said they had about 2,000 signatures on a petition um, to to oppose this ban um, but their their solution and that what they're saying and what a lot of people were saying at the public meetings is that um, EPA certified stoves, so stoves that are cleaner burning than uh, regular wood stove, older style wood stoves, 
that there should be an exemption for these. People spend a lot of money. A lot of smart people who care about air quality have gone in and done a lot of research and um, bought stoves that, that they think are better for the environment. This, this ban, the proposed ban as is, would prohibit the burning of EPA-certified stoves. And I'm hoping that we can hear from, from the DAQ, sort of, um, Bryce, why these were included and um, what, what the reasoning is there. Because I feel like if, if, if EPA-certified stoves were excluded from this ban, this comment period might have gone completely different. So, uh, yeah, to start with, um, the, the comments that we have received are, are certainly under review right now and will be considered uh, by the Air Quality Board. And uh, I think it's very unlikely that the board will uh, finalize a rule as it was proposed. Um, that, that meaning that uh, the comment has been valuable, it has been heard, and certainly there needs to be a number of accommodations, and certainly there needs to be uh, a, a focus on the timing as, as well. Um, and so that part of the process, uh, again, again, we're, we're, we're grateful for the input. We're grateful for a coalition of people with a, a common suggestion that uh, that recognizes the need to address this problem, recognizes that on the very worst days there needs to be extra effort, and uh, also proposes uh, some consideration for those who have already applied the best available technology to reduce the emissions. Uh, and... Um, I can add as well that that, uh, we have recognized the the similar benefits as well, and there's been a number of programs over the past uh, couple of years to provide incentives to uh, either convert to a cleaner burning stove or uh, convert a home away from a wood burning appliance to a a natural gas furnace. And that has been funded by the legislature and also a couple of other organizations at Breathe Utah and UCARE that have uh, provided, again, resources for for moving away from wood burning. So again, uh, the ultimate result of this process will be a, a rulemaking action that is informed by the public comments. And again, my prediction is that it will be significantly different from, from what was proposed. Um, when you ask why we didn't go to the middle ground on the first time, is uh, we needed to uh, have people involved. I'll give you one example. Is Actually, we've had two wood-burning workshops over the past uh, two years where we uh, noticed them publicly, invited people to come in and and give input on how to solve this problem. Uh, Even though many people would be impacted, we saw very few actually come to the meetings and provide input. And so uh, by extending this um, as a proposal that would impact each county, uh, the Air Quality Board also specifically wanted feedback on the appropriateness of applying an equal restrictions to all counties, uh, it, it specifically requested uh, feedback on how long the, the, the season, the inversion season should be considered, and whether that's appropriate to be the same in each county. And as we're looking at uh, the, the data that uh, informed that decision, we're seeing that in Cache County, the inversion season usually lasts longer than the other counties and starts a little bit later. And so again, uh, any type of uh, seasonal restriction should probably be adjusted based on the the, the monitoring data and the, the propensity for inversions. So again, uh, we appreciate the comments. We appreciate, uh, again, comments that, are, that recognize that, that uh, there is a, a significant or, or uh, um, important contribution from the, the wood-burning appliances and that there's probably some uh, reasonable mid- middle ground that can address the situation but still address the needs of uh, the, the, those people that have, who have invested in the best available technology. I think it's really important to remind people, and I'm really glad you said that, that this comment period is not just to say, I agree, I don't agree. I mean, you are asking for input, and that input, instead of saying, I'm opposed, I mean, it's not, we're not voting, right? I mean, the, the public is being asked to, to say how they, what they think would be more reasonable. And I think that that message may have gotten a little bit lost, because I, I felt that way at the, at the public meeting, that people were we're thinking that it was an all or nothing kind of thing. And it's, you know, this is your opportunity, right, to to inform the legislation. Is that correct? That is absolutely. And uh, again, it concerns me um, that uh, that message didn't get out as well as it, as it could have. Um, 
that uh, in many of the comments we've been accused of, you know, running this through without any input from people, you know, being dictators and how we're proposing and, and implementing this. Um, but again, they're saying that during a public comment period on a proposed rule. So what we're really looking for is is exactly what the legislature intended when they established the rulemaking procedures, that uh, uh, people can come up with a foundation for a proposed rule. They can go to the appropriate appropriate regulatory body and uh, propose that as an action. Uh, then that that body can take it out and gather more information, uh, especially specific specific information about how it will impact uh, the people who are actually the, the subject of the, the restrictions, and then come back and take that information and make a reasonable uh, decision based on all of the information. And I think that is exactly what this process is. And so uh, I've also been asked, you know, do I take it personally when uh, I, I'm, I'm yelled at? And, and I don't. Um, <laughs> this is really the, the process that's in place, and it's a good process. Uh, that we gather information, we look at the impacts, we then have to ask new questions based on the, the questions that were asked or the comments that we receive, and, and we're going to be doing a lot more technical work before we come back with either a final rule or reproposing something that is um, a, another solution to this problem. Well, you heard it here. You can call and yell it to Bryce Bird. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. That's not what you were saying. You, he, you, has you, you, he has thick skin. He has thick skin. We do have Joyce from North Logan. Joyce on the telephone. Uh, thanks for being patient, and uh, go ahead with your question or comment. Okay, I'll start with a comment. Um, I'm not in favor of a total ban on the wood burning, and we've tried really hard. We have a small cottage, and we have a wood burning stove, but we also have another heat source, and we don't burn on the red burn days. And we felt that was probably working quite well, and we're very surprised to find out that this law has been proposed for total no burn. And uh, we feel like that maybe the vehicle emissions and some of the other major causes should be evaluated. Again, if you have a diesel that's 1997 or older, it doesn't have any emissions regulation. Any diesel over 14,000 pounds doesn't have emissions regulations. And these guys put big turbos on their trucks and chips that are supposed to be illegal. But uh, you can see that downtown and just smell it when you go downtown on inversion days. And that bothers me that maybe they picked on the wood burning as the lesser of the evils of the, of the inversions. My one question here besides that would be... Um, is this new information that we've received on the radio today about being the second biggest uh, polluter of the release of toxic chemicals, the state next to Alaska, does that affect our air? And I'll just let you answer that off air. Okay, that's, that's Joyce in North Logan. Thanks for that, Joyce. So we'll let uh, Bryce Bird comment. So first, Joyce is absolutely correct that, that vehicles are the, the largest source in each of the non-attainment counties. Um, you know, finding solutions to address those uh, is still underway, and of course some of those have been put into place, and of course your residents uh, are familiar with the, the emissions testing program. That is a very important uh, first step, looking at vehicle emissions to make sure that, they, that each vehicle is operating as it was designed and with the lowest emissions possible. Uh, and yes, medium and heavy-duty diesels and older diesels are, are a challenge. Um, as well as those that, that uh, intentionally modify their uh, vehicles to produce more smoke. Um, certainly something that uh, is not acceptable, and we're, we're working on those fronts as well. Um, and so, again, we're, we're not saying that, that, uh, that solid fuel burning causes all the problems, and we're not saying that a, a reduction in, in solid fuel burning will solve all the problems either. But it is a, a multi-front effort, and we are um, addressing each one of the source categories, um, but certainly need to do more in all those areas. Uh, the, the second question was uh, specific to uh, an annual toxics release inventory. And this is something that uh, the federal government uh, collects on a annual basis, looking at emissions of uh, toxic pollutants. Um, Utah is ranked highly, and that is because uh, EPA considers uh, mine waste or mine tailings or overburden as a toxic release. And so uh, a lot of the, the high numbers come from, uh, again, not emissions into the air, for instance, but uh, moving uh, rocks 
that contain uh, elements that are high in metals, for instance, uh, like a mining operation, moving those from one location to another is included in that toxic uh, release inventory. Um, we, we do have some challenges. We do have some high emission sources. We have uh, worked over the years to improve the technology at each of those sources uh, to reduce emissions, but uh, they are still a contributor. Um, I will also point out that uh, in Cache County, that is not the case. There are no major point source emissions in Cache County. So when we talk about the industrial emissions uh, contribution to the air pollution during an inversion, there are none of those sources in Cache County. And so we need to focus on the other areas and, of course, vehicles, uh, wood smoke, and in, and then the, the the light commercial emissions are certainly a focus there, and uh, we've seen some progress in, in additional emissions controls at the, the the Logan City Power Plant. At the uh, of course the the university has worked uh, very hard to uh, improve the emissions controls on on their facility, as has Pepperidge Farms. They've actually reduced emissions significantly by adding emissions controls. And so those are just some examples that we are looking at all areas and and finding. Uh, technology solutions, uh, voluntary solutions, and uh, in some cases, uh, regulations that that apply some mandatory restrictions as well, like the current wood burning program. Jennifer, I know you have some more questions for Bryce Bird. I wanted to get this in from uh, Kylie in Moab, who uh, sent this in by email. She's encouraging people to attend a uh, Utah Clean Air Rally that will be happening in Moab. Um, That's on Saturday, noon to 1. this is on January 31st, Swanee Park in Moab, and she says this is in conjunction with the Clean Air No Excuses rally that will be held during the same time on that Saturday uh, from noon to 1 at the Utah State Capitol steps in Salt Lake City. So that's uh, a, a heads up from uh, Kylie in uh, Moab. That's that's actually a, a pretty decent transition into what I wanted to ask her, to talk about kind of the bigger picture of um, other things that we're doing. A lot of a lot of the comments that I've received have been, you know, why wood smoke? Why can't we talk about vehicles? Uh, I have one comment from a Cache Valley resident who says, I feel like the push for this ban is a red herring. It allows the state to look like they're doing something to improve air quality air quality while avoiding creating regulation that would really make a difference. From what I've read, wood burning accounts for less than 5% of the pollution, and the current restrictions on burning on red air days address that problem. Um a lot of people like Joyce, um, our caller, and uh, some of the comments that I've received are saying, why aren't we doing more about vehicles? Why are we sort of deflecting some of the attention away from that? And and I understand that, like, you know, the burn ban is, is in the forefront right now. Um, but maybe, Bryce Bird, you could talk about other initiatives that are happening, maybe things that might come up in the legislature or other things that the DAQ is doing um, to address other aspects, since we know that wood burning isn't isn't everything. Uh, yeah, so, so as I mentioned, the, the vehicle emissions testing program uh, is one of those important other steps um, that a grossly emitting vehicle uh, emits much more emissions than one that is meeting all of its manufacturer specifications. And the focus there is uh, on a 2004 or newer vehicle, uh, making sure that it meets the the, the Tier 2 vehicle standards. Uh, We're also focusing on, as we get newer vehicles into the state, that they have even uh, cleaner emissions profiles. That, uh, again, focusing on uh, buying the cleanest vehicles, providing public education about uh, how to choose a vehicle and ensuring that the fuels that we have uh, allow those vehicles to, to operate properly. Um, some people have heard about uh, the Tier 3 vehicle and fuel standards. And so one of the efforts that we have underway right now is to ensure that those cleaner burning fuels are available in our area. Under the current federal program, they may not come to Utah either quickly or in some cases at all, and so that's a focus to improve that vehicle fleet. Uh, there are also, of course, uh, incentive programs for clean fuel vehicles, uh, tax credits for natural gas vehicles and electric vehicles, for instance, that are a part of that uh, solution as well. The other important piece is, is, is education. Um, uh, 
that uh, the TravelWise program, uh, that's at travelwise.utah.gov, gives some resources to to help people make uh, small choices, uh, such as telecommuting, carpooling, uh, using public transportation when that's possible. Uh, Again, we're not asking that everyone do that all the time, but if if you could choose one day a week to skip a lunch, for instance, or to, I would say, not skip a lunch or bring a lunch to work rather than driving out and and going to lunch, uh, or carpooling one day a week or telecommuting one day a week, that that could reduce your emissions by 20% from that that sector. And so, again, focusing on education and giving people solutions and options uh, on the vehicle side as well. And then, as I mentioned, uh, there has been a lot of work um, with – you know, some of the, the largest emission sources there in the county and throughout the state to ensure that the, the best control technology is is put on those, that it's monitored, that they have inspections to make sure that it is operating properly and that they're capturing uh, to the extent possible the, the emissions that are produced. Um, just some examples of the, the other efforts that are underway. We have about uh, 10 minutes left, and I'm hoping we might get some more calls or hear from some other um other comments, but I wanted to give you this opportunity, Bryce Burr, to talk about the the comment period and sort of, I think there's some anxiety on the public's behalf of of what's going to happen to these comments and are they going to get read? And so maybe you could just talk us through sort of after February 9th, when the comment period ends, um, after these public meetings, what what happens to all of that information? And I do have a question um, from from a listener who who wants to know if if Governor Herbert is actually going to read those. Um, so maybe you could just tell us, um, you know, kind of what happens after we we send our comments out into the world. There. So our, our process is uh, we first. Um Yes, we read every comment, and we categorize each component of that comment into different categories. Then each uh, similar comment is then responded to. If we need to do more research to answer that question, we'll we'll reference the additional work that we did. But each one will have a a technical evaluation and an answer uh, in a document that's prepared and presented to the Air Quality Board. Uh, That is also available uh, once it goes to the board on our website and and, Others can read those and and get those answers as well. So that is our process. We we do look at every comment, we categorize them into similar comments, and we respond to each one and provide that response uh, for the decision makers at the Air Quality Board for the, for them to consider in their their final decision. Uh, the the governor uh, is uh, involved in this process. Um, we we've. Uh, Talked with him this week, uh, talking about the, the comments that we've heard and and got some feedback on on how we should proceed. Uh, I think it's unlikely that he would read every comment, but uh, certainly he would have access to uh, the, the the key comments and and again already has had some of that input as well. Kind of like Santa Claus doesn't actually read all of our letters. <laughs> yes, he, he has staff that, that helps him. He's going to have those. a good yeah. digest for that. Right. Yeah. Although I'm sure he always reads mine. Uh, so we we very much appreciate the comments and uh, as been evidence at the meetings, the reporting, what we've heard here today. Uh, this is, I think, really struck a chord. Uh, people care about this a lot. Uh, so maybe here at the end, we just have a couple of minutes left. Bryce Bird, you could tell us uh, what the process is, what uh, will be happening going forward. So uh, we, yeah, we are focusing focused on solving the air pollution problems. Um, and uh, I think some of my key messages are, uh, you know, this year the the, uh, the the current system is in place, and so we encourage people to be aware of the the air pollution situation in their area. And of course, we've provided a, few, a couple resources to do that. So uh, at airquality.utah.gov, we have uh, both a, a current conditions uh, link there at the top of the page, as well as a forecast and trend chart, so you can see how the air pollution has been building uh, over the past five days. Um, with the forecast, of course, we, we try to give people uh, three days advance notice as to uh, whether, when restrictions are in place, and, and we encourage uh, the, the burning community and the driving community and, and any other uh, people that can adjust their emissions profile to, to, to pay attention to those and really everyone do our part to uh, improve air quality or keep it from getting as bad as it could be when the lid is put on during the inversions. Um, next, again, encourage people to participate in the process. Um, if you've got suggestions, 
and uh, you know, I think it is valuable to, to understand the impacts. Uh, if if this rule will impact you financially, uh, personally, um, uh, you know, impact those values that were talked about earlier, we we want to hear that so we understand exactly what we're doing and and that it needs to be well justified if we're going to move forward. And uh, again, suggestions on on how to modify uh, or tailor it to to address the the pollution concern, but do so in the least. Uh, impacting uh, and most reasonable way possible. Uh, then uh, next, I, I neglected one point on the, the vehicle emissions. Uh, you know, avoid those uh, multiple trips, cold starts. Uh, we know that uh, in the driving cycle, uh, the cold start of a vehicle produces more emissions than uh, the, the rest of the driving cycle. And so, uh, again, uh, skipping a trip, uh, trip chaining are all ways that we can address the the vehicle component as well, because they all do add up, and that is the largest uh, source of the emissions. Rice Bird, uh, we're out of time. Uh, this will continue, though. A couple more meetings to come. We'll uh, be continuing this discussion on UPR.org, um, and we'll be passing on the comments we received to, to you at the DAQ. Rice Bird is director of the Utah DAQ. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Uh, Jennifer? Uh, thanks so much, our reporter, Jennifer Pemberton. Thanks for the work you've been doing, and we'll continue to do on this, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, the best place, I think, is upr.org. Maybe that's a that's kind of a, a central place. clearinghouse to... Yeah, or just remember remember the word Utah Public Radio. It, okay. That's our Twitter handle. That's our Facebook page. Right. That's how you find us. And the comments, uh, we hope, will continue. We'll be passing those on to the Department of Environmental Equality. Um, thanks so much for listening today, and hope you'll join us on Monday. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the College of Science at Utah State University. Public outreach information on our Facebook page, Cache Valley Science Kids. When students and faculty learn together, discovery follows. Information at usu.edu slash science. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Van Frank. How would you feel if you were a refugee and had to flee your home and move to another country? This week, meet two Utahns who did just that. First this. I'm Cynthia Buckingham, director of the Utah Humanities Council. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by the Utah Humanities Council with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T.D. Foundation. UHC is proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories as part of our statewide tour of the Smithsonian exhibition, Journey Stories. Tune in each week for a new Utah Journey Story from the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. Utah has long been a destination for immigrants motivated by the search for a better life. In the late 20th century, however, one in ten newcomers to Utah was a refugee. The United Nations defines a refugee as someone fleeing his or her country because they are afraid of persecution on account of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. Since 1985, more than 50,000 refugees, most of them women and children, have resettled in Utah. In the 1970s, those seeking asylum came mostly from Southeast Asia. Utah resident G. May, for example, was a toddler in Cambodia when her family fled the growing violence of the Khmer Rouge. To avoid detection, they hid during the day and moved by night, traveling the small back roads of the Cambodian jungle. Some family members split off in order to move faster, but were later caught and killed. An estimated three million people met the same fate at the hands of the Khmer Rouge. During their escape, May's family avoided capture and walked past death many times over. Eventually, they reached Vietnam, only to be displaced again by war. May and her family, along with thousands of others, were finally granted refugee status and allowed to leave. Every year, the U.S. government resettles up to 1,200 new refugees in Utah. In the 21st century, they are likely to be from the Middle East, the former Yugoslavia, or the Horn of Africa. Orphaned in the 1980s during the Civil War in Sudan, Jacob Deng was among 17,000 lost boys who walked 1,000 miles to a refugee camp in Ethiopia and then to another in Kenya. He was finally resettled in Salt Lake City in 2001 and says that enduring hope kept him alive throughout his journey. May and Jacob are among the thousands of refugees who have overcome unimaginable circumstances to courageously build new lives in Utah. Sources and past episodes of the Beehive Archive may be found at theutahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of the Utah Humanities Council, I'm Megan Van Frank.
This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.